use those critical thinking skills. Welcome to Medically Unbiased. Hello and welcome back to Medically Unbiased. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, here with a good friend of mine, Dave Champion. I actually was able to contact him, meet up with him, and we scheduled some time out of our busy lives to sit down and discuss all things COVID and the bullshit that ensues with COVID. So, hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. I, I love the line about the busy lives. Yeah, no lie. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the, fa- the fact that we're pulling this off <laughs> is very, yeah, it's very unique. Um, as much as I've known Dave, what, for 10, 15 years now? Something like that. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Um, I know, so I want to introduce Dave, but my problem is I don't really understand. I don't know his accomplishments. Like I don't. I'm not going to list Dave as a. Well, he did this and he went to this school and he. Did, I, like I don't know Dave that way. I met Dave at the bar when we were dancing, All right? And BSing and having a good time. And the more we talked, the more we became friends. The more we learned about each other and just like life, we're just kind of cut yeah. from similar cloths. I mean, Dave's a no bullshit guy. He's going to give it to you straight here on the podcast. He knows a lot. He's done a ton of research on COVID, on different medications, on what's happening in the world. And he's really knowledgeable in the political sphere. So even though we're a trying to be apolitical on this show, because I can, I, I obviously lean a little more right on some subjects and a little more left on some subjects. Dave, I think, splits the hairs right down the middle, too. I think he leans right on kind of the fiscal policy and left on the social policy and a lot of stuff so i mean it's going to be a good middle ground for us to talk about covid some of the policies being enacted and some of the bs that's going on in the world all right so now it's my turn to introduce oh this is scary (laughs) tyler to my audience because this podcast is going to go up on my podcast channel as well that's right okay so for my audience and what's your podcast Tell, tell people where to find you uh just Dave Champion, Dr. Reality. They can go to any of their preferred podcast apps okay. and just enter Dave Champion or DR Reality. Okay. Dr. Reality. I like yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, I met Tyler a while back. Um, like you said, like a decade ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, wasn't sure I liked him at first. <laughs> which, <laughs> you have the same response. Which, which, which I think is really common with guys who become good friends at first. It's like, what the fuck? Right. So, <laughs> so, um, I, I think one of the things that... that Tyler and I first discovered that we had in common is neither one of us suffers fools well. No. Uh, we just don't have that. Whatever that skill set is, <laughs> Right. neither one of us have it. Um, but the thing I wanted to say about Tyler is he's a Renaissance man and a man of accomplishment. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, remodeling a home, whether you're building furniture, whether you want to produce knives, mm. which is something he has done, um, whether you want to be treated for your uh, cardiology issue, um it, it doesn't matter i mean anything for, for the all the years i've known tyler I, I think this is the important part i want my audience to know is for all the years i've known tyler if tyler wants to go out and be good at something he just does if he didn't if he didn't know jack about it yesterday Within a couple months, he's going to know everything there is to know about it. And within a couple months beyond that, he's going to give you something akin to uh, expert service in that area. Wow. Um, so I, I think that's a really important thing. And, and I think, you know, you, you have quite a bit of formal education. Yeah, too much probably. But, right. But I think the I think the, the things that impress me most about you are not where you – not those areas in which you have received formal education – 
it's those things where you said, I want to know about this, and you've just gone out and become damn near an expert at them. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's very kind of you to say. I mean, you've kind of helped me in some of those regards when it comes to, uh, especially shooting, because I really wanted to get good at shooting, uh, carrying a gun, being proficient at you know, using my weapon and people who don't know you don't know you are a master firearms instructor. Yeah. So it was uh, a godsend to be able to pick your brain and then have you take me out to the middle of the desert and show me and teach me and fix my form and fix my stance and make me look like I knew what the hell I was doing with a firearm. And so right, right. The, the training was, was epic and I probably should have spent thousands of dollars on it, but means that we were friends. It worked out in my favor. Happy to so, do it. Uh, one thing I want your audience to know before we get going mm-hmm. um, is that I wrote a book called Body Science, which is a book on physiology yes. um, with a strong emphasis on nutritional, nutritional physiology. But yes. it, it's a general human physiology book. And I think it's important for your audience to know that, that I, I am a published author in that field before we start talking about well, yeah, and that physiology. Was, that was going to come up because I want people to know, and we could, let's do it now, and we'll bring it up again later, but... The book Body Science, I read the You were a proofreader. I, I proofread the book before it even went to print. Yeah, yeah. And I feel very blessed that I was able to do that. And the cool thing about it was is that everything in the book is accurate. Like it's highly researched, highly, you know, uh backed up by data. There's no hyperbole, there's no conjecture, there's no speculation. It is factual from beginning to end. And I think the important thing for anybody who who says, oh, that sounds interesting, is for them to understand that um, after you said those kind of things, it also completely cuts across the establishment grain. Oh, yeah, because these, it's not doing yeah. the same thing that the American College of Cardiology is doing. Like, oh, you have to take a cholesterol pill. Like, this is going to explain to society how to help fix their problems. Yes. Without needing of uh, no medications. Yeah, and and the physiology behind how how it fixes the problem. And why? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I tell people all the time about body science is w- when you've closed that final page, uh you will never ever be able to be fooled or misled by the establishment, whether we're talking about government, whether we're talking about people like the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, whether we're talking about the media, you will never ever 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 be able to get fooled by them again. Right. They can't pull the wool over your eyes anymore. Never again. Never you're going to have all the info. Yeah. To me, that's... So how like, do they find this book? Oh, um, they can go to my website, which is Dr. Reality. Again, that's just drreality, no space, dot news, and then just click on store and have Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So hopefully we can get some people coming to the store and checking it out because it's a great book. Thank I mean, you. it's a very important piece of work and I think people should check it out. Yeah. So to the COVID thing that we were talking about pre the restart of this recording, um, <clears throat> Dave and I kind of talked last week about what we were going to discuss. And then we were at the last minute deciding whether we were even going to be able to get together because we were both super busy. But in the list of items, I think one of the things we need to go over is the ADE section yeah, of absolutely. COVID. Absolutely. So there's a lot of people worried. And I say a lot of people, cause it's hard to quantify how many. So mm-hmm. I just, I know it's more than one and less than a billion. <laughs> so I'm say, good estimate. Yeah. Yeah. Good round number. You're not wrong. No, I've never, I'm like a weatherman, right? <laughs> I can't be wrong. Somewhere between 30 and 90 today. Yeah. <laughs> Partly cloudy, sunny. It's um awesome. So the, the ADE, is stands for what, Dave? Antibody dependent enhancement. So I know Fauci talked about this in a pod, not a podcast, in a video that I saw on him maybe 
a year or two ago about antibody dependent enhancement long before COVID was even a thing. Yeah. He had, he had discussed it and said how it's so rare, so can't ever happen, would never happen, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a lot of questions regarding this vaccine and whether or not it's causing people to be either more infectious or the antibodies that they're supposedly have in their system from the spike protein that's being inserted through the mRNA vaccine, mm-hmm. if that's causing them to then be more sick. Because we've seen higher numbers now sure. than prior to vaccines. So ADE is an interesting subject. Um, I think it's important for your audience to know that every single coronavirus vaccine that was ever attempted, um, including SARS, not COVID-2, but the original SARS, Correct. Uh, MERS. 06 yeah. or whatever, yeah. yeah. Every single uh, coronavirus vaccine attempt or something similar, genetically speaking, to coronavirus, uh, every single one ha- was stopped because of ADE. Right. Okay. Um, it has typically been thought if anybody becomes more easily infected after vaccination or after vaccination, they become infected and become more ill than they would have without vaccination, that if anybody more, more, more than like, you know, one one hundredth of one percent um, experience ADE, then the vaccine is not good. Okay. Uh, the standards. Up until SARS-CoV-2, the standards right. were... Up until this... Vac- let's, let's just say yeah. the standards prior to 2001. January Prior to January 2001, when this vaccine rolled out, mm-hmm. the standards were, if that even shows up, it's bad. Yeah. Period. Exactly. So, with the mRNA vaccine, um, that seemed to be thrown out the window. And, and that's just not my opinion. Um, in the information that Pfizer submitted to the FDA seeking its emergency use authorization for its vaccine, it listed ADE as one of the potential uh, adverse reactions. And in the FDA's documentation evaluating the information from Pfizer, uh, the FDA acknowledges that that is a concern and says... (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, I've been looking at this stuff a long time. I mean, people are going to be shocked, and I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, God, this, this is just so absurd. Okay. It's it's funny because it's absurd. It's yeah. funny because it's BS. The FDA said it, it is a concern, and we will have to begin looking at that concern after the vaccine is approved. Okay. So now, hang on a second. I want to be very clear. Emergency use authorization is not approval. Right. Okay. So somewhere in the range here in the United States, about 200 million people received the vaccine while it was under emergency use authorization. Still yeah. under emergency use authorization. It's still the the, yeah, the stuff know. that they approved. So let's clear this up. The stuff that was approved yes. is not being used right now. It's not available in the United States. It's not even available yes. in the United States. Yes. However, Pfizer claims that in every way other than the label, no, I'm not saying this is true. Right. Okay, I'm just saying with cl- other than the name on the label. Yeah, the, the, Pfizer is saying that the only difference between Cormanity or whatever they call it, it's mRNA vaccine in Correct. in for instance Australia, mm-hmm. and here the only difference is the name that appears on the label. That's that's their narrative. Well, the only difference is that you can't sue Pfizer if you get sick <laughs> right. under an EUA. <laughs> right. 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 If it's if it's a fully functional 
authorized vaccine, you can sue them. Yes. So we, nobody in the U.S. can sue Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson and Johnson because they're all currently in EUA. Now, when they approved this vaccine, they just extended the EUA for the current vaccine that's being used. Yes. Because Cormanity or Cormanity, I don't know how the fucking say it. Yeah, I have the same problem. (laughs) Okay. I I swear they throw Scrabble tiles on the table and it shows up and they're like, oh, that looks like a good name. I think that's how they come up with names for drugs because it doesn't make any sense. No one can speak, say it or spell it or whatever. It's ridiculous. So whatever the name of that drug is, is not being utilized in the U.S. right now. So I didn't mean to digress, but I thought we had needed to fix that. Absolutely. So back to ADE and what the FDA said. Um, They said that we can look at this, we can do research on this after approval. So what we're saying is 200 million Americans were injected. As a lab experiment. And then the FDA was saying sometime after. After that, then we can look at ADE. This this is completely flipping the safety protocols on the head. In every other attempt that was terminated, right? Mm -hmm. they tested for ADE well before they'd even submitted any information. Actually, they never did submit information to the FDA because of ADE. Correct. It stopped the process. Yes, exactly. They stood on the brakes once they looked at the ADE. Here, they said, what do kids do? They slap their hands over their ears and go, la, 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 la. Okay, so, so that's what Pfizer and the FDA agreed to do for ADE. Suddenly, whether it's making people more receptive to infection, whether it's once they become infected uh, post-vaccination, if they become more ill. Uh, and by the way, we know that's not happening with everybody. Let me be clear about that. Right. Um, but if that happens to a percentage whatever that percentage is we do with the mrna vaccine we don't care about that we cared in the past but we don't care now and right which is weird why would i I don't understand why things change so drastically just in functionality of medicine Mm -hmm. and coming from the medical from a medical perspective Mm because i practice medicine all the time yeah so coming from that perspective why did so much change and i think there's doctors out there asking similar questions may i answer that yeah please okay so i have a long time good friend we used to work together decades ago okay and uh he's i'll just say very well off now (laughs) yeah and he does a lot of investing. And we were on the phone a couple months ago when he uh, told me that he is a longtime investor in mRNA technology and that he follows up on his investments. He doesn't just, he doesn't just throw the money and then wait for something to happen. He follows up. He wants to know what's going on with his money. And he told me that in the case of something like a pandemic or an epidemic – if they could get authorization to use mRNA vaccines public uh, across a wide spectrum, as we've seen here, it would push mRNA technology forward by a decade. Now, that was just from one source. Okay? Okay. Probably about three weeks after he and I had that conversation on the phone, I happened to stumble across a video of Fauci speaking at a conference several years ago. He's up on stage with a couple of other speakers, and... He's saying, if we have a pandemic, and <laughs> right, if, if we have a pandemic, and we use, we can, we can, on a wholesale basis in the public, use mRNA technology vaccines. We can push this technology forward by a decade. That's funny. Okay. So there's, I've got my longtime friend, uh, who's one of the most honest and forthright men I know. We've got him saying it. 
in 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 the mode of uh, looking after his investments. Then we have right. Fauci uh, as a senior NIH executive talking about say, giving the same narrative. We can, if if we can do this, we can push this technology forward by ten years. Um, so I would say I have high confidence that that's exactly what's changed. Yeah. Um, mRNA technology, as far as vaccines are concerned, is intriguing. Um, what it does is it creates a platform that is, I'm just going to throw out an arbitrary number here for the point of illustration, mm. a platform that is 95% compatible with every single contagion that may pop up. Okay. Okay. So basically they've got this platform. Easily and, used by the body. Right. So all they do is they adjust the 5% and it's incredibly cheap to make. Um, and <laughs> most profitable here for yes. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson. And because yeah. the 95% has already been approved, mm-hmm. right? That it's just a standing platform that's, that's, you know, their view is there'll come a time when, when everything will be mRNA. Right. So there's going to be no controversy at that point about the 95% platform. Right. Okay. So then they don't really need to go through this years long process to bring a vaccine to market. And their concept is, that something pops up in the world. Look, there's a virus we didn't know about. Like SARS-CoV-2 was back in like November in China, November 2020, uh, uh, sorry, 19. Yeah. back in China. It was right. like suddenly, and by the way, the reason I say November. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you. Well, U.S. intelligence sources actually reported on, on paper um, that China was having an outbreak in Wuhan in November. Right. Okay? They didn't, they just didn't know until December that it was going to be something we call SARS-CoV-2. Correct. They didn't okay. name it. They so, just knew there was a problem. Yes. An Intel report was just saying a lot of people a lot of motherfuckers are getting sick okay, right over in wuhan well and i don't know if you're aware but in thailand they already had seen person-to-person transmission so in december early december of 19 the min the minister of health in thailand wrote a letter to the who ah. and he said to the who we have a new novel virus that's spreading person to person and infecting people and killing them and the who was like Fucking, I'm not listening to you. Yeah, you're just, we we are an arm of the Chinese government, and we are not listening to Thailand of anybody. Yeah, but I saw the letter, not the physical letter, but sure, I saw sure. the copy of it online. And I and in a previous podcast, I've done an outline of the timeline of COVID, and me and one of my friends went all the way back to November and even before because uh, it was found. It's also found in the sewer water. They were. China was treating their sewage because it goes through the bowel. Mm-hmm. And so they were finding it in the sewage as well. Ah, so they were highly treating their sewage water as much as they were worried about respiratory virus. They're treating their sewage on the side of that as well. Lovely. So, I mean, it's a di- diversion from where we were going, but I mean, sure. the history, I get where you're coming from. And my listeners will know if they've listened to that previous podcast, they'll understand that. Yeah, November nineteen. That's a rational timeline. Yeah. So the the the, the big thing. What 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 changed their willingness to push things forward without looking at matters such as a question such as ADE um, is that they're looking. For, they see the promise of mRNA. They don't, don't know whether it's going to be the realized promise. Right? We don't know mm-hmm. that yet. But the promise that mRNA supposedly holds is that you're going to have inexpensive. Very fast vaccines. Um, I question the inexpensive part. Yes, inexpensive to make, but 
I, and I think people are going to think I'm cynical when I say this, but but I really truly believe this. I'm not just trying to be cynical. Um, you know, if, if it costs Pfizer say 15 percent, uh, if an mRNA vaccine costs 15 percent of what it costs to use a uh, a traditional old school to produce a traditional old school vaccine. Um, only a fraction of that savings is going to get passed on to the governments or to the health agencies. Oh, none of it goes to, to the yeah. consumer. So, so the, the the real thing, the, the pharmaceutical industry um, that is just completely, completely profit driven. Um, Absolutely, th- they're looking to do something fast, inexpensive across the board on any pathogen that pops up and make a shitload more money than they've ever made on vaccines in the past. So that's, and of course, I know you want, we don't need to get into this now, but I know you want to talk about regulatory capture. Oh, we can talk about that. Yeah. So with, with big pharma having uh, achieved regulatory capture uh, over various, uh, for quite a long time now, U S government agencies. Yes. um, Getting its way is not difficult. No, uh, the big pharma in the, in any industry is or any in any of the big pharma companies, I should say, be better to say, is they're already involved in regulatory capture, and we should probably define define for the audience what regulatory capture is. Um, but in essence, it's that they're controlling <laughs> their narrative to the government the, yeah. because Regul- they own they own all of the functionality of so they can determine what's going to get proven good and proven bad and the government's going to be like oh well i guess we have to go with that because uh, you guys say it works the best regulatory capture i think a good working definition for the audience yeah. is when an industry that a, a gr- an industry or a group of companies that is subject that is subject to regulation mm-hmm ends up arranging their affairs in their legislative contacts in such a way that they now control the regulatory agency that's supposed to be regulating them. Right, which yeah. telecom did it, yeah. railroads done it. I mean, there's been a ton of industry that's done this, so it's not a new concept. No, it's not. And I would say, uh, you know, regulatory capture... The food industry's at, done it for a long time. At w- yeah, at what point do you say regulatory capture has occurred versus influencing an agency... So I, I would say, where's the defining line? In other words, in the areas that I tend to focus on, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of physiology, um, I would say the industries that have hands down they have complete regulatory capture is big food, big med, and big pharma. Their their control over the agencies that are supposed to be regulating them on our behalf, their control is so complete. That they get anything and everything they want, period. Yeah, true. Full stop. No, that's true. Um, I, I think part of the industry, when it comes to you were saying how the cost to bring a drug to market. Yes. That cost is, it's very expensive to bring a drug to market. And a vaccine is very expensive to bring to market because it's generally, prior to COVID, and prior to the, and I don't even include the flu vaccine in there because it's not a fucking vaccine. It's, I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah, no. Polio, the polio vaccine was a vaccine. Like when you got the polio vaccine, you were like, oh, I won't get polio now. That's amazing. Most people. Most people. Yeah. I won't get polio. I got the vaccine. I won't get polio. Right? Right. And when I say most people, like 99% of yeah. the people won't get polio again or ever, right? Yeah. If they got the vaccine. So, that works. This isn't that. No. This is, I call this a therapeutic. I call the COVID-19 vaccine a therapeutic. I think you're absolutely right. Because I think that. we treat people, it's a, it's a pre-therapeutic. In other words, 
Well, Pfizer came out with a pill recently, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> yes. so, um, so we have a pre-therapeutic. In other words, I'll you know, give, this is going to be like a four-hour podcast. That's the, okay. The way you and I go. I know. People will talk. We'll listen to it. Or you can put it on mute or whatever. I, both of my listeners will fucking love it. All right. <laughs> so the, the groups that come out with these drugs, when they spend a ton of money, they're spending money to make a profit later. So you don't come out with Lortab. You know, or you don't come out with Lipitor as a cholesterol drug, let's say. Lipitor is a cholesterol drug. But guess what? Everyone gets fucking Lipitor all of a sudden when you're like 60 years old and your cholesterol is up. No. Instead, of they could be body science. But no, I'm just saying, they're going to get a cholesterol drug. Well, you're going to use that drug and you take it every day and you're going to renew it every 30 days or every 90 days, whatever your, you know, renewal period is. You're going to see your doctor every six to months to a year. You're going to get that drug again. You're going to do your more labs. So those companies get incentivized to make a drug that they use regularly. Yes. Vaccines stereotypically are not that vaccines are a one-time dose. So you only have in the U S 330 <laughs> except, million except for people, the current MRNA vaccines, <laughs> which is to me, uh, why the MRNA vaccines were created and why they wane in their efficacy yeah, we'll from the initial time till six months later. And if I remember right, Pfizer goes from like 95% to like 42% within six months. Uh, Moderna well, goes a from... Lot, a lot sooner than that. Okay. That I know Moderna drops to like 56% and Johnson Johnson drops to like 18% yeah. efficacious. So in other words, they all lose their functionality over time. Yes. And Which, whether that's a, a linear logarithmic scale or a, you know, a sure. ramped graph, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, it's just chronology. And, we'll, and that's why the boosters are coming because they're going to make more uh, money. Dude. And you're going to need boosters every six months or every three months or whatever they determine. So when does the shit stop? Because, like, it's continuing on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So we're going we're to talk about exactly why. In, in a little bit here. So, so to the audience, stay with it for, for all two of you. <laughs> Both of you. Stay with us because we're going to get into some really fascinating information about why the mRNA vaccines, you, you constantly need another injection every six months if you intend to have um, what they call immunity from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's true. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about a bunch. This is gonna be a fun podcast, man. I'm I'm actually anxious we got to do this because I was really really worried that we wouldn't be able to get together. But now that we are able to get together, it's gonna be fun. So let's go to commercial and then we'll come back. Medically unbiased. So, I do have some funny commercials I could throw on here once in a while. I got some of Peter Griffith, actually, or Griffin, Griffin, yeah. actually doing some 
U.S. Postal commercial. It's just funny. <laughs> I don't put them on all the time, but I put them on once in a while. So I'm getting better at the running of the buttons. People that listen to my podcast know that I'm a little slow at the button sometimes to make it work. I don't have a producer, people. I don't have the Joe Rogan money to like right. make this thing work. I have me, myself, and I, and all three of us are trying to get shit done properly. So this is where we're at. We'll talk about masks for a minute. Yeah. Or the fact that they're a waste of everyone's effort and time. You know, we're so far along into this event. Um, I, I think it's important sometimes to bring people's minds back around mm-hmm. to fundamentals that they may have lost their grasp on because of all the um, media propaganda. The forest for the trees problem. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to reiterate to people. I mean, first of all, I think there's there's something we need to say up front. Um, when Fauci's emails were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, Fauci, who, of course, people remember him saying, oh, yes, we absolutely need a nationwide mask mandate, and then saying if one mask is good, two masks is, is better. <laughs> um, it, it's important to note that in one of his emails to a uh, uh, associate of some form mm-hmm. who asked, she was going abroad, she was traveling, yeah, and on she, a plane. she asked if she could, if she should wear a mask. He said no. And Fauci said they don't do any good. Um, the viruses are much smaller than the porousness of the mask. It, so, no, don't bother. Okay, so I think it's important, first of all, to separate what he's saying in private to what he's saying in public. He said that in public on 60 Minutes in March of 2020. Right, very early on, yes. Yes. Um, never to be seen again. Never. That clip never to be seen again. <laughs> that clip is hard to find, yes. Um, but his his email is out there. Um, Correct. Yeah. So that's people can go research that. I only themselves. read like 3,000 of the 6,000 emails. <laughs> You're much more diligent than am I. <laughs> well, I, there wasn't a lot to read in some of them because they were a lot of them was blacked out. Masochist. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. A lot of it was removed. So the other thing that I, I want to remind people of is that um, a mask might, under certain circumstances, have some benefit. And let me explain what that is. Um, I want to be very clear that maskless people, say, walking down a grocery store aisle, passing one another, good afternoon, sir, good afternoon, ma'am, okay, I'm walking mm-hmm. down the aisle, there is absolutely no transfer of a virus, okay, I want to be very clear about that. Um, so, if people were not wearing masks and they were just passing by each other in the aisle way and not, not lingering, not getting 12 inches from each other's face and so forth, there is no, the, the virus does not have powerful legs and it is not leaping off of you <laughs> onto somebody else or off them onto you, okay, right. to be clear about that. Um, because I think that's the narrative that people got at some point. They, they were like, okay, oh my God, you're in public and I'm in public. Fucks, one of us is going to get infected. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, I think that's because of the way that was described by the general medical community yeah cdc included oh yeah and and the media just driving panic correct so uh, what's logically driving panic. Yeah. so what actually does uh, i know you know but i'm speaking yeah, yeah, yeah. what actually does transmit the virus okay so if you cough on somebody most notably on their face okay if you cough on them and you're infected you will likely infect them possibly possibly if you higher likelihood for sure <laughs> yeah you, exactly if you sneeze on them higher likelihood same story uh if you speak in such a way that spittle flies out of your mouth onto their face same thing okay so a mask can prevent the effluvium 
that comes out of your body, mm-hmm. uh, your mouth, your nose, or the spittle when you speak, um, it can stop that. Okay? However, I think if you look back at your lifetime and I look back at my lifetime, the number of cases that I'm aware of, the number of incidents, that's a better way to put it, mm-hmm. where somebody has coughed or sneezed on me, or is, on me. is virtually zero. Okay, pretty, yeah. pretty damn close to zero. Perhaps I can recall maybe three or four cases in my life where somebody spoke in such a way. I was like, fuck, dude, do you bring a, water, a washcloth? Because <laughs> you're spitting all over me. Okay. Right. Uh, it just, it doesn't happen. No. So, uh, the, the, this idea that masks work is absurd from the get-go. And then when we talk about things like sneezing and coughing, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. No one, this is really the insane part of all this. Nobody wants to sneeze into their mask or cough into their mask. Right. So they're walking around with a mask. their mask out and And then when they go, oh my God, I'm about to sneeze, they pull the mask down. Right. <laughs> or I have a cough I can't control, right? Right. And then they pull the mask down. I mean, I've seen it time and time and time and time again. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the masks, they don't work, number one. Right. Just in general, as Fauci said, they're, the, the, the level of their porousness is gigantically larger than the size of a uh, coronavirus. Right. Um, they would work at capturing effluvium. If people actually kept them up and when they sneeze and cough, and sneeze and cough, but, but I totally get why nobody would want to sneeze or cough into their own mask. Right. So, so they're a complete waste. Well, going back, so if, we, so if we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, the 2020 era, the beginning of 2020, there was this panic because we operate on a just-in-time logistics model for equipment supply chain and supply chain logistics in any facility any in the world doesn't matter if it's the auto industry or the healthcare industry we're on a just in time meaning that if i need masks in my facility today i don't have them necessarily i have enough to get me through the day yeah but i will order from company x to ensure that they arrive to my facility tomorrow because i don't want to warehouse the product Right. So I don't want to. So warehousing costs money. It's all floor space. You have to heat it or cool it and you got to have people manage it. So there's a logistics cost there. So this supply side economics has in early 2020 created a bottleneck where China had all our masks. And if you remember, we sent a shit ton of masks to China because they <laughs> they were in the midst of the midst yeah, of this and yeah. we didn't want it coming here, so we sent them a bunch of masks. Now there was a gentleman who makes masks, has a mask making facility in Texas that he shut down a decade ago. He never tore it down. He shut it down. He said early on in March of 2020, I can reopen this mask manufacturing facility. I need 30 people to do it, and I need a guarantee that I will have per- items purchased from me sure. so that I can ensure that I can buy the materials and make these products. The government told him to F off. <laughs> the government told him no way. Yeah. So 
Fauci said, and I have a couple points to make. Fauci said, we don't need masks on 60 Minutes. And then he came out and said, you need masks, and then you need two masks. Well, what happened when we didn't need masks? We were worried about the healthcare workers. Everyone needed masks. And if and Fauci's even said, well, if I made everyone get masks, then the healthcare workers wouldn't have any. So we would have, you know, screwed up the world for people treating people with COVID. So I said that, and then he changed his mind and turned around and said, now we need them. But what happened when we needed them? All of a sudden, you could fucking get them everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could buy masks at Home Depot. You were never able to buy anything but like a respirator at Home Depot, like for painting or dust or something. No. You never got a surgical mask at Home Depot. Ever. No. Now they're available at Office Max, Home Depot, Lowe's. I mean, pick a store. Yeah. So the minute we were able to get the supply side from China and they were able to manufacture enough masks for us, all of a sudden there's a mask mandate. Now let's go back to the reality of the world prior to COVID. If I walk through the, and I've said this numerous times on this podcast, if I walked through the hospital with a mask on, I'd have been, had my ass chewed. I would have been brought into the management's office and asked, why was I wearing a mask in the hospital? Yeah. Outside, outside an operating theater. Outside either the operating room or outside of a, a specific like negative pressure room. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm in a negative pressure room, like for tuberculosis, I wouldn't be wearing a surgical mask. Yeah, right. I'm wearing an N95 mask and one that fits me appropriately because I've had a seal, a proper seal test on me annually Yeah, to make sure that things fit me properly. People are just walking around aimlessly. I see people at the damn grocery store wearing gloves, touching all their shit, touching all their foods, picking their nose, pulling their mask down, eating a grape, put their mask back up, have their gloves on, but they think they're fucking not infected by nothing. Yeah, I'm with you. I've told a lady at the grocery store, I said, you don't, you realize your mask doesn't work. I said, if a fart can get through my underwear and my pants and you can still smell it, (laughs) I don't think that mask is helping you. Just throwing it out there. And that's a fart. That's not even like a, the, the small teeny particle that is this virus. Yeah. If you can walk into Macy's and smell perfume from the perfume counter a thousand feet from you, that's traveling through the air conditioning system and moving across the way and ending up in men's fashion. Yeah. Sorry. So is that sneeze from the lady that sneezed over there. All of that is aerosolized. Now, if we don't, uh, early on in the pandemic, there was a meme where a guy was like wearing pants and he peed. And the other guy was like, oh my God, I'm glad he's wearing pants and he peed and pee on me. But if he was in a pool and he peed, nobody'd be like, oh, I'm glad he's wearing a swimsuit and peed. Yeah. You get out of the fucking pool. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> on my, excuse me, <clears throat> on my YouTube channel, by the way, if you anybody wants to go look at it again, it's Dr. Reality, DR Reality, Dave Champion. Um, I've got a video up there that's entitled Pro Mask Equal Sign Science Denier. <laughs> that's good. And what I do is I take people through the states that have mass, had mask mandates, um, the strictest mask mandates, for instance, California. Um, from the day that California instituted its mask mandate, I forget the period of time now. It's been months since I made that video. Um, California experienced an 1,100% increase in new daily infections with the mask mandate in place. And according to my friends who still live there, because, you know, I lived there for 47 years, right? right. Um, my friends who still live there, they tell me compliance was as close to 100% as you're ever going to get. Uh, I think it was actually 1,130% increase in new daily infections. Um, was it Michigan? 
um, with the mask mandate in place. And again, strictly enforced. And my friends who live in Michigan telling me 100% compliance, they had a 1,480% increase in New Daily infections over six weeks with the mask mandate. And then I talk about other states that uh, either did not have a mask mandate or at some point removed their mask mandate. Florida. And I talk, and I, yeah, well, Florida is an example. Texas is an example. Um, and how their New Daily infections literally plummeted. Now, I'm not connecting the lack of mass to the infections plummeting because they're completely unrelated. But when you have a supposed mitigation measure and the number shouldn't increase ever or, ever. or, you know, even you might make an argument that a mitigation measure was uh, minimally effective if you saw only a modest increase, but the kind of increases we're talking about are, are anything but modest. So, <laughs> so clearly it, it just explodes the entire nonsense myth about mask wearing. And if RSV is high for kids too, and they're all stuck in masks. And if not wearing masks, uh, the the flip side of the coin, if not wearing masks was dangerous to society, then places that didn't have mask mandates, you you wouldn't see cases literally plummeting um, over a couple of months, you know, literally dropping like in one case, 96% in like three and a half months with no masks. That would not exist if masks were efficacious. Well, if masks worked, we wouldn't need the vaccines. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, come on. If masks were so effective in stopping this virus. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't need. And, and the problem is, is that no one talks about what mask. It's just mask. It's just a general term. So it could be peace. Like even the damn uh, Surgeon General was like showing you how to fold a fucking T-shirt and turn it into a mask. Here's a video on YouTube. How to properly fold a T-shirt <laughs> and make a mask out of it. And this was early on when we didn't have access to any surgical masks or anything. Supposedly didn't have access to them because of the supply chain issue so now no one's talking about the difference between an n95 mask and properly fit n95 mask sure a surgical mask i'm going to say right now if anyone's ever done drywall in their life you'll understand this i want you to go put on a surgical mask and i want you to go sand an eight foot by four foot sheet of drywall after you've put mud and tape all over it Skim coat the drywall with mud and then sand it with like 150 grit sandpaper. And then take your mask off and go look in the mirror and see where the drywall dust is because yeah. it's fucking all over your face. Yeah. It's in under the, your in mask. the area that the mask was there to cover. Yes. yes. It's it's around your nostrils. It's around your mouth. And those particles are exponentially larger than larger a coronavirus. Than a yeah. coronavirus. So to think that a mask, a surgical mask, that... You people, and I say you people, I'm saying the 90% of America right now is not washing their cloth mask daily. They hang it from their rearview mirror. They walk in and out of Costco, hang it back in their mirror. Uh-huh. That paper mask that you have, well, because it costs you, you know, $13 now for 10 fucking masks. It's a buck 30 a mask when it used to be, you know, a nickel a mask <laughs> prior to COVID. Right, it was a nickel for a whole mask, and you bought a thousand of them in a in an office setting because you used them all the time. Right now, you go to Home Depot; it's thirteen bucks, and you get ten or twelve masks in a little plastic package. Someone's making money. I should have. I should have created a mask. I should have been making masks. We, we blew it. We blew it. Yeah, that or sneeze guard guy. I should have <laughs> made plastic sneeze guards. Yeah. So to me, the mask thing is a is a waste. I've said that from the beginning. 
I feel I've always felt that the coronavirus from the start of this, I never felt it was based on any fluid. It's been airborne from the fucking beginning. Absolutely. Airborne and uh, contact. Surf- and con- surface, yeah, contact. surface contact. You know, I, th- I think early. Because it lives for a long time on a lot of surfaces. Yeah. Early on for some. Uh, yes. And outside the home, um, I think. Surface contact transmission is much more likely because people are touching things. For instance, let's say um, this is one of the things I love. Uh, if I can digress for a moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. at my chiropractor, somebody. Uh, this is the first go around here in Nevada when they had all the mandates in place, okay. and somebody called OSHA, made a complaint because the chiropractor didn't have clean and dirty designated pens. Okay. Oh my, what, what? Yeah. Yeah. So you had to have, you know, one yeah, a couple pen, of clean yeah, pens. That yeah. said clean, you know, and then when you were done signing your name, you would put it in the dirty one and then <laughs> they would sanitize it in theory. Okay. So, however, you can go to the bank and you can touch the ATM numbers. That, never gets wiped down. Uh, never. Ever. Never. Never. Um, you can go to the gas station and push buttons on there. Never. Never. The pump handle yeah. never gets wiped down. So, you know, when we talk, this is why I say surface contact transmission, okay? Because people are, touch, like, say, ATMs. How many times have you stood in line at an ATM? A lot. Okay. So the guy's standing in line ahead of you, and he's waiting. And he's messing around with his nose, wiping his nose. It's itching or whatever. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to get that, that piece of food out from between his teeth. So he's got his finger in his mouth. Right. Then he steps up to the ATM machine, <clears throat> feeling great because he's wearing a mask. Um, touches everything and he you know taps in well i want to do a withdrawal and i want to do it from my checking and i want this amount of money and he's tapping all the numbers and then he takes his cash and walks away and you walk up and and of course those prompts appear in the exact same location on the screen yes so you're touching the same body he just everything he just seconds ago yes and probably you're touching the same spot that a hundred people touched in the last hour correct okay and yet that somehow that reality somehow was it ceased being significant at least in the media yeah by what maybe may a couple a couple months in they were may non, 2020 talking yeah about suddenly it. contact transmission went away which i thought was absurd it was or it is but i think back to the mask thing i think the masks just represent a visual for people to say, oh, he's being, or she's being safe. Okay, so... It's a visual representation of a bullshit narrative. I'll tell you what I think the masks are about. Yeah. Okay, because... Compliance? <laughs> that too. Society's compliance. Um, that too. <laughs> but uh, I, I find it hard to believe, uh, because most of these governors, they have like a board or a committee of supposed medical experts yes okay. so i find it hard to believe that any of these governors are being told masks work in reality okay i, I know they make public statements and they press releases but when they're sitting in a conference room there's four or five of them sitting with the governor and they're saying i, I find it hard for them hard to believe that these experts are actually saying to the governor yeah, man, this this thing that some people say escaped from a level four, you know, bio lab in yeah, that little piece of cotton you stick on your face that's going to save you. Uh, I find it hard to believe you call them experts, but go ahead. I'm yeah, <laughs> but, but uh, so here's what I think. Um, you know how the human brain works. So somewhat, um, there is a 
what I call the lizard part of the brain okay. um, that identifies people uh, without there being any conscious role in that. And it keys off of facial features, most notably things like the nose and mouth. Of course, the eyes are a big part of that as well. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the mask mandates are really about, well, I will say the word force because it's a mandate. Yeah. Forcing every single person to present the government's point of view on their face. Okay. Okay. So when you go into the store and everybody's wearing a mask, what you're, what the perception is, is we must be in crisis. Oh yeah. It's definitely a, it's a political message. It's, that, a, it's a false, it's a flag being flown saying that there's a problem. Yes. It's a political message that people are being forced um, by law to exhibit on their face. It has no science behind it. Well, and the person who's not wearing one is the rebel. Oh, yeah. That's I've, never, the, I've never worn one, ever. Yeah. Oh, not not once. <laughs> that's good. I can't say that. I mean, I've worn them. I wear them when I'm in the hospital or in the, you know, in the office or whatever. And I wear them when I go into a grocery store that requires yeah. them. Yeah. You know, I'm very I'm very fortunate that my um, the work I do, I work out of my home. Right. And, and, yeah, if I actually had to work for a company during all of this, I'd probably have been one of those active shooters. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Would have lost it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean... I was at a post office the other day, and a woman was griping about wearing a mask while she was wearing a mask. Right. And I said to her, I said, you know, I'm not wearing one. She goes, I see that. I said, so let me share with you my point of view. She said, okay. Uh, She's probably like 70, right? Right. And I said, the government has a lot of power and a lot of authorities in different areas. One of the authorities the government does not possess is to compel me to act like a complete fucking idiot because they're fucking idiots. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then that's, I mean, the closest I've ever come to wearing a mask, and this is really ironic for those of you, for your audience, right. um, I live in Nevada and uh, the governor here is a, idiot. a COVID idiot. Yes. And so we're we're in mask mandate two right now, and I've ignored mask mandate two just as I ignored mask mandate one. Right. And uh, but it's interesting because the only place that has how can I phrase this that's been just absolutely idiotic in in their attempt to enforce the mask mandate mm. has been of all places the irony, the gym. Really. Yes. Now. There's, I, I have to be very circumspect be, in how I cope with that there because there is one gym in the small town in which I live. Right. Uh, and I've been going to the gym for 37 years and I don't want to be shut out of the gym. Right. Uh, however, so I, I did buy a mask. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, the way I wear it is I, I call it my cloth earring. Oh, there you go. Okay. I drape it over one ear. Yeah. Um, and that's how it stays. Mine's, like a, mine's like a chin warmer most of the time. Yeah. And then if the manager comes over and, you know, she normally doesn't say anything. She'll normally walk by and she'll give me this hand signal, like point at her face, you know, because right. she's got her mask on, like, your mask isn't on. So if, she'll, if she does that, I will literally take the other loop that's hanging down, bring it under my chin, yep. my mouth and nose are exposed, hook it on the other ear. She gets about 30 feet away. I unhook it. <laughs> I mean, and, and and how 
absolutely ridiculous is that sort of gamesmanship. It's it's so silly. And I know I can't. I don't think it's appropriate for me to disclose how I know this. She's no more enamored of the manager. No more enamored of masks than I am. Correct. Right? But there's this like weird game that's being played. So I have a video out that I put up on. I don't know, it was Facebook or Twitter. I put it up early on during the pandemic. And I was at Domino's Pizza, buying pizza for the kids, all right, by the house. And the lady behind the counter, now I've got my T-shirt pulled over my nose so I can walk in and grab this pizza, okay? <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask. I literally just pulled the collar of my shirt up over my nose and mouth and walked in. She goes, you need to be wearing a mask. Oh, fuck. So she tells me I need to be wearing a mask. So I pull out my phone and I video this woman who's telling me I need to be wearing a mask and she has a mask on exactly as you would wear it. It's down around her chin. It's not covering her mouth or nose. She must be 17, 18, 19 years old. She's not very old and that's fine. She's incompetent and she doesn't know. She's just following what she's being told to say, but she's not like, you can't tell me to do something you're not doing. That's a mandate in your store. Like it just doesn't even make sense. Oh, you know, that, 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 any private sector worker anywhere is trying to enforce masks on their customers is the height of stupidity. Well, I think what this gave society, I think the masks gave society this, uh, I want to say altruistic idea, but maybe that's not the right term, but it gave them this strong ability to think that they were more important than they are. Oh, yeah. So it created a whole bunch of Karens that want to facilitate their push of, you know, governance, their governance on you. Oh, yeah. They're right. You're wrong. You do it my way. And it allowed for them, the mask is a verbal ability for them to start yelling at people. I was at at the nursery maybe a year ago, and my mask wasn't on. Yeah. Didn't even, didn't even dawn on me. I was working outside. I'd went over to the nursery to get a sprinkler part. And was, so I'm not near anybody. I'm in an aisle, but there's no one around me. And two people walk across the entire building to come tell me, I need to wear a mask. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, we weren't anywhere near each other. This wasn't even an issue until you got close to me. Yeah. You created this fucking problem. <laughs> Yeah, I was get- fine without the mask and I wasn't bothering anybody and no one was next to me. And again, I have to couch that in the fact that this was over a year, over a year ago it would have been. So it would have been toward the beginning of the mask mandate push and the, you know, we really didn't understand the virus like we do now. I mean, so there's a lot of, a lot of introspective thoughts that go on there. I have to realize that these people don't know medicine. They don't know how viruses transmit. They don't, just, know, they don't listen to the science. They don't know shit. They don't, but they, they don't, but they're, they don't, they know what they're being told and the media is lying and they're scaring people. So in that regard, I have to, at least my, I, myself, I need to take into account that they're stupid. They don't understand. And I, and they're so stupid that they're going to believe what they're told. The first time, like everyone does, they're not going to research it. They're not going to dig. They're not going to learn more. So they're going to jump to the conclusions that they've been dictated to from the start of this. And no matter how much knowledge I prove that I have or how much science I bring with me to the argument, I won't win, especially in that setting. You know what I get all the time? Huh? You're not an MD. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, and 
Fauci's an MD and he's a fucking idiot. We, <laughs> well, Fauci's actually brilliant, but he's corrupt. So how does that help? Right? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, a brilliant idiot, I guess. Yeah, be. we talked about regulatory capture. He, right. He's he's been in the pocket of big pharma for at least for three ever. decades. Yes. Yeah. Um, he, he is to me the modern Ansel Keys. Yeah. Oh yes. 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 Where Ansel Keys was, um, the paid minion of, uh, what we would now refer to as big food, especially the sugar industry. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. He was paid big time by oh, the sugar industry. Huge money. And Fauci is that for big pharma today. And yes. Um, but there was one thing I wanted to mention that you had commented on, and now it has flown out of my mind. Anyway, maybe we should uh, talk about remdesivir. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know what remdesivir is, it is an antiviral drug. I forget who the manufacturer is. As we're talking uh, about this. Abbott, maybe. I don't know. I okay. have to look. So the very first time that remdesivir got on the American public's um, radar screen was when Donald Trump was hospitalized with COVID-19 and experiencing re- some level of respiratory distress. And uh, remdesivir was still in trials at the time for COVID-19. It was not, it was never designed for COVID-19. Let's start with that. No. But it was under trials to see whether it was, had it, whether it was in any way efficacious for... Nothing was designed for COVID-19. Right. Uh, whether it was efficacious in, in the treatment of acute respiratory syndrome from SARS-CoV-2. So that and monoclonal antibodies, neither one had uh, even emergency use authorization at that point. They were both in clinical trials in terms of COVID-19. And so Donald Trump was hospitalized, and he started to have uh, acute respiratory distress. And he's obese, of course. And there was considerable concern that he was going to go downhill and crash. So they reached out to the FDA, and they said, we need you to give us an accept- an exemption. Gilead makes it. Gilead, thank you. So that we can give uh, President Trump remdesivir and monoclonal antibodies. Okay, so that was the first time that remdesivir really got on the public's radar screen was when people started reading the stories and the fact that he'd been given remdesivir. He was given the kitchen sink. Yes. And, of course, he recovered. Yes. I I think the really critical thing about that, though, is he received remdesivir and monoclonal antibodies. Yes. Um, So And, and, and. Yeah. Whatever all else, yes. (laughs) There was a Um, shit ton of stuff, if I remember right. But those were the two cutting edge, and it required a singular exemption from FDA to do it, because there was no approval for it to be used by anybody outside the clinical trials. And no doctor's going to give it to him unless someone else approved it, because he's the freaking president. If it was you or I, they'd be like, I will try it. If you die, you die. Sucks to be you. (laughs) I, I, I read an interview with the um, director of FDA at the time who was asked for that exemption and he was not happy. But, oh, I'm sure he wasn't. Yeah, but I'm sure like, that was a very difficult uh, authorization. To yeah, provide. hi, I'm, I'm Bob Smith. I'm assistant to the president and I want you to do something that ethically you're not allowed to do. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, no, I'm good. So, anyway, um, but, you know, remdesivir, it's interesting because the trials in the United States for remdesivir involved a thousand participants. I think it's important to note that trials around the world for ivermectin um, involve many, many times that. Millions, millions and, of people. And the people here in this country, uh, in the um, public health sector, who oppose ivermectin, they constantly dismiss those studies from all over the world, saying that because they had 5,000, 7,000, 8,000 participants, they were too small to be meaningful. And then they love the ones that have 1,000 people in it. Right. And, and then they say that, that the remdesivir study with 1,000 people um, was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's very reliable. <laughs> 
Um, the, co- the cohort size is irrelevant. Okay, so <laughs> All of a sudden, it doesn't matter because we want this drug. Yeah. So then remdesivir got emergency use authorization in COVID cases. However, unlike in the case of President Trump, most of the patients who re- receive remdesivir do not receive monoclonal antibodies. They receive just the remdesivir because it's in ready supply where the monoclonal antibodies are not. Um, which is a more of a, t- to use an overworked phrase these days, a supply chain issue. Yes. Because there's, there's, it, the, mo- the monoclonal antibodies, they're there. The problem is hospitals aren't getting on board um, and, and providing them. But remdesivir is simple, right? So Relatively. Relatively. So, because it's got to be given in a hospital setting. It does. Yeah, clinical setting only. So, but here's the thing. Remdesivir appears to be a crapshoot. In that, some patients who are administered remdesivir improve Mm -hmm. and eventually get checked out and go home and they're fine. Mm -hmm. Other patients who begin to receive remdesivir within about 24 hours... Decline rapidly. Rapidly. And die. Yes. Uh, Within usually four days, they're gone. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you hear the dog at the back. Of yeah, one of my dogs is like he's whining. He's like, "You guys have been in there talking all this time. You're not giving me any attention." <laughs> all right, so if you hear any whining, that's why. So anyway, the the situation with remdesivir is that here's how it works: remdesivir is administered. If the patient improves, checks out, goes home, then remdesivir is the hero of the day. If remdesivir is uh, administered, and the patient worsens and dies within three to four days, it's the COVID. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. In the cases where remdesivir appears to be deteriorating the patient's mm-hmm. condition, no one ever looks at that. And, and no one, no and one it views is, it as the remdesivir. And they it is, view it strictly as COVID. Yeah, it's, there is zero discussion going on in this country uh, uh, by any authoritative health agency doing any research. Zero discussion about whether remdesivir is, in fact, killing patients. And right. I think uh, the, the information that I have, especially if you look at remdesivir's dismal um, clinical trial history before SARS-CoV-2, mm-hmm. it's a fucking disaster. Right. Okay. So you take a drug that, that in various trials, disaster, 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 This disaster. is an antiviral drug, by yeah. the way. This isn't some, this is a drug designed to stop viruses from replicating. Yeah. That was its initial reason for even being. It wasn't like uh, Viagra, which was built to regrow hair, and yeah. they accidentally found it gave men erections, and so they decided to change the perspective on the drug. <laughs> this is a drug that was specifically designed to stop viral replication. Yeah. So, it, it has a dismal uh, clinical trial history. Okay. And then, uh, you know who was involved in, in its early um, advancement, wanting to see it advance? No. Um, Fauci. Of course. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Follow the money. Yeah, right. Follow the Fauci. And you know who has spoken well of bringing remdesivir to the American people? Uh, Fauci. Yeah, for (laughs) Fauci. Um, I I think I'm seeing a trend, perhaps. Yeah, there's a definite trend, for sure. Um, I wonder if he has any financial ties to the company. You know... Gilead. That is... I don't know if you remember about seven months ago now? An Israeli... um, 
supposedly some altruistic organization, awarded Fauci a million dollars. What? I kid you not what I'm about to say. Yeah, yeah. For speaking truth to power about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. What? Yeah. So when I have the time, which I don't have now, and this is something that, that should be easily researched at any point in the future when I do have more time, right. um, I want to know who participates in that in that uh, organization that g- gifted him that million dollars. I want to know who backs it. I want to know who the contributors are. I don't know if Israeli law is like U.S. law, that Probably that all not. has to be disclosed. Oh, I'm sure it's not. I'm guessing that's why it came from Israel. <laughs> right. And then... Maybe he should have got a couple of Hunter Biden paintings. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then... You know, these companies, they're very sophisticated. Um, yes. I, I, I was looking at something, you know, the other day that, like, Pfizer's um, assets are valued at close to $25 billion. Yeah. I mean, these are very sophisticated organizations. Correct. They've been around a long time. They've, yeah. They're very diversified. They're multifaceted, multilayered. It's not, and they you're not how- cutting the head off the snake if you... Get rid of one arm of it. You know? They, know, they know how to filter money out of their organization and yeah. make it available to the people who support them, even if it's not a direct payment. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's also deferred things like, you know, we're going to put this money in an offshore corporation. Um, well, doc, there's let a us doctor be- I follow on Twitter, and he's, he made a comment the other day. It was pretty funny. Dr. Brian Lozikas, or Lenzikas, how you say his name. Um, he said, we, as practitioners, are not allowed to receive a pen from like it's like it would be it used to be that they could come buy you lunch yeah and they would you know bring you all this cool stuff and you had mouse pads and pens and all jackets from all the different drug companies they would shower offices with gifts that were large prescribers of their drug sure. right and that became illegal because then they were essentially buying your decision was the the thought process yeah. so the drug companies are no longer allowed to provide to a provider any any sort of drug paraphernalia, pens, mouse pads, nothing, unless they're giving you a teaching. If they teach you about their drug, so if there's a class involved, then they can do it. But they can't just do it willy-nilly. Yeah. But they can do it to all the politicians, all MSNBC, ABC, CBS, yeah. Fox. They can do it to any marketing whatever, right? So how many times have I had a patient come to me and not even about COVID, just come to me and ask me about a drug that they saw on the fucking TV? Mm-hmm. Will this help me? Well, no, because that's for eyelashes. <laughs> that doesn't help you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not going to be what you need to, what yeah. you want it to be. And in the case of somebody who's dealing with as large numbers as Fauci and Fauci earning almost a half a million dollars from the United States government, he's the highest paid impl- uh, executive branch employee in the United States government. Yeah. Higher than the president. Higher than the president. Um, you know, thing the the way they can compensate him would th- would be things like um, we're going to set up an investment fund for your kids, right? Okay. Um, once you retire, from we the landscaped your yard for you. <laughs> yeah. W- once you retire, um, this you know corporation in Bermuda will hire you as a consul- consultant for on a, the million, board, a million dollars on the board a year. Of directors yeah, tonight. yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many different ways mm-hmm. for this corruption to take place. Yes. It the the idea that these companies, these billion-dollar companies, aren't using these mechanisms to enrich their government minions. Uh, anybody who thinks that's not happening is just they, – they, they don't have much of a brain. Or at least they don't understand how business operates. Well, no, they don't. But back to the 
initial part of this cartridge, the remdesivir section. So back to that, the reason I think that they were so pushing for the remdesivir is because one, it's expensive. <laughs> and every time you use that drug, the company Gilead who uses it is going to make a lot of money off of it. Yep. So you've got Fauci now touting it. The average consumer doesn't know the difference. The average person is like, just give me whatever makes me better. I don't care if it's, if it's frog turds, give me, I'll eat it. I don't care. Just, I want to get better. Yeah. Right. So I read a study from, uh, where did it come from? It was off of Medscape, um, that said remdesivir only is like a benefit. It's like a 30% benefit possibly, but the cohort study was like 27 people. Yeah. So like that doesn't mean squat. Well, when it comes to remdesivir, 27 people is more than enough. <laughs> so says big pharma so says big pharma so i think that you know granted the, the study was obviously way underpowered but also 30 percent they're not talking about the negative side effect there was no negatives in the entire thing yet you and i both know people have died yes. after receiving within days of receiving remdesivir yeah. now they didn't receive like you said they didn't receive monoclonal antibodies and remdesivir yeah. they only received remdesivir and it should be clear that the remdesivir does not produce that outcome in everyone correct it does not that's why that's why at the outset i, I called it a crapshoot it's a gamble it is it is a gamble but i think i think it's unfair for a society or for medical society to use only that drug as their crapshoot drug when there's other drugs that seem to have a better more safe profile yeah that are good crapshoot drugs like whether it was the hydroxychloroquine BS or the ivermectin conversation, there's conversations to be had on both fronts, you know? Yeah. I just did a uh, presentation today. It hasn't gone up yet. I recorded it before you and I got together today, um, in which I looked at Joe Rogan mm -hmm. and uh, his, what I'm calling, home protocols. Mm -hmm. um, Aaron Rodgers, mm -hmm. his home Tim, protocols. Tim Pool. Uh, yeah. I've, I've talked about, you know, my living in ketosis and um, exercising six or seven days a week and the fact that I take one and only one supplement, which is vitamin D, mm -hmm. and the fact that I eventually, out of curiosity, went and had a SARS-CoV-2 specific memory T-cell test and came up positive. So at some point in the last 22 months, I was infected with the virus, but I haven't been sick. I haven't felt bad in any way yeah. ever since this thing started. Okay, So I discussed these protocols okay so we we know that rogan and rogers they both involved ivermectin zinc and d there's some other stuff like and monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies yes. yeah and i know rogan was on you know a three-day vitamin drip okay right yeah. and hydra and a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. Yeah. so and of course in, in both of them said I mean, Rogan said three days into it, he said, I feel great. Yeah, he felt way better. Um, uh, Roger said, you know, he took this stuff for a couple of days. He said, I feel incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to say that I felt that way, but I never was sick. So. You never felt bad. Uh, yeah. So, you have you know, compare it to. so apparently my, my sort of, I'll call it my life protocol, <laughs> right. um, served me well. And the, the point of the presentation that, that I am about to put up is that there is no database for what works. Yeah. So the only message about what works is coming out of big pharma and government. Right. Uh, if, oh, this is a podcast. I can, I can speak more freely. Um, I, when you look outside the United States, yeah. most other parts of the world 
consider ivermectin a powerful tool against COVID-19. If used early. Yes, absolutely. The, yeah, the, Let's couch that in, like, if used at the onset of symptoms yes, within or, the first three days. Or testing positive. Or testing positive. Yes. Not hospital-bound patients. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, 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 not, not intubated or, or high-flow nasal cannula patients stuck in the ICU. Yeah. By the time you're fucked, ivermectin is not going to help you. Ivermectin is not going to help you. Yeah. Um, you have a very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. But people who have taken ivermectin around the globe yeah. upon uh, either testing positive or first symptoms uh, have done extraordinarily well. India, many parts of India credit the, the fact that their numbers are uh, almost, given their population, they're four times the population of the United States, their numbers are almost down to zero. Right. Okay. Um, as a percentage, they're doing spectacular particularly better than the United States. They are kind of horrible at data, though. Yeah, there's so some question marks there. Yeah. Mount infected versus... Well, I mean, don't get, I'm not... It, I'm just I'm trying to play devil's advocate yeah, here. And know. they've got a lot of rural area. That's very, rural. very poor rural areas. Correct. Yeah, so then you, you're not garnering all the data in the way you might like. Absolutely true. Um, but in the big cities, they're doing a fairly decent yeah. job. Um, and I don't trust anything coming out of China, by the way, because they stopped counting deaths. Yes. Yeah, you can't. I think there was millions dead in yeah. the beginning of this, and they stopped at 86,000. Yeah. So whatever. Um, so I'm but just, anyway. I'm letting you know that's where sure. I'm at. I don't, I don't look at any of the China data either. I mean, even if we get out of um, if we get out of India and we go to South America, right. the, the ivermectin has a tremendous reputation down there. Correct. Um, so Mike, you, can write it, you can write it for some way today, but then the pharmacy won't fill it. In some places, that's true. Yes, here um, it, it's just. But but the point being this, um, and I brought this up in the presentation. Um, you and I both are pretty voracious news um, followers mm-hmm. because we we want to keep abreast of what the the narrative is. Correct. Um, so a lot of times we're reading lies and we know it, but but we want to know what lies are out there. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, and. Here in this country, the narrative about ivermectin is completely different. But uh, you know, it's here, a horse to wormer. It's a horse to wormer. Uh, we're going to talk about ignorance. Uh, CNN was MSNBC. They were all speaking the horse oh, to wormer yeah, nonsense. Yeah, of course. You know, it, it, ivermectin is on whose list of essential medications for humans? Yes, and they never bring that up. No, not or that it won the Nobel Prize. Oh, right, right for for humans, not <laughs> for, for humans, not, not, not for, for animals, not for horses. <laughs> um, but. There's there's absolutely no database that we can go and say, okay, um, here in the United States, I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number, mm-hmm. 31,000 people upon first symptoms took ivermectin, and none of them ended up going to the hospital with serious COVID-19. Right. There's no database for that. Do you know why? I can tell you why. Okay. Because for the first time, for the very first time ever in medicine... We didn't treat you at onset of disease. Correct. For the very first time. You come in with a fucking scratch on your leg, we're going to give you some damn antibiotics in case it was a cat and you're going to get some infection. You come in with a bloody nose, we're going to not be like, well, go home. And if you die of bleeding, then you didn't make it. (laughs) We're going to stop the bleeding and help you. The very first time in medicine's history did we say, look, you got covid we know you can't breathe very well, but go home. Good luck to you. Yeah. I hope you feel better in a few days. And if not, come back. Okay, so I think a lot of people wonder why. 
given the high regard in which ivermectin is held around the world outside the United States. Right. I think people wonder why the narrative is so different here. Um, is it because we don't have the, what is it, the river blindness? Well, <laughs> federal regulations prohibit the FDA from granting emergency use authorization to a vaccine if there is an efficacious treatment available in the country. Ooh. Yes. So... How's that going to work with the new Pfizer bill? Well, it's, it's already been granted. The emergency use authorization has already been granted. But then they, once they, 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 they could, can't they, remove it after the fact. They would have been prohibited from granting it if the establishment here in the United States has said... You know, it does actually appear that ivermectin is efficacious as a treatment. Oh. If they said that, FDA could not have granted the emergency use authorization. For the vaccine, which, which is a vaccine, we, the therapeutic. Yes, we talked about um, the fact that, you know, I think the last numbers I looked at was 247 million Americans have been vac- vaccinated. Or had the virus. Yeah. That, what that comes out to... I. I talked about this in the presentation today is that 67 percent of the u.s yeah but is number wise um between moderna pfizer and uh was it johnson uh, johnson biotech not not johnson um 61 million dollars in a year wow okay 61 million dollars so when people hear the adverse narrative against ivermectin in this country they have to understand that if if the establishment had actually stood up and said, yes, this is an efficacious treatment, Big Pharma would never have made $61 million. Right. And mRNA technology would not have been pushed forward a decade. Ah, there you go. Okay. So, ivermectin cheap. Yeah. Oh, pennies. Yeah. So we're, I think it's really important for people to understand that, makes that, sense. that the U.S. narrative on ivermectin is not driven by science. It's not driven by observational studies. It's not driven by clinical trials. It's driven by politics and money. Right. Yeah. And by the way, when you said follow the the people behind the curtain or whatever, when you were talking about all the people behind the system that are making money from it. Yeah. So a lot of things posted online about ivermectin or about anything remdesivir gets fact-checked. And then you'll see a post come up on Instagram, Twitter, fact check, fact check, fact check. Oh, yeah. So factcheck.org is a website that shows up regularly in my personal feed. Okay. So I went to factcheck.org, their website, and I looked at all of the employees of factcheck.org. I researched every one of them. Okay. Awesome. I love that. Not one of them is a doctor. Of course. Not one of them is a medical professional. Every There's only one person that has a PhD on the entire group of people who work there. Yeah, it's probably not science. No, it's journalism. <laughs> because every one of them is a journalist. Yeah. Every single person that works at factcheck.org is a journalist. And they're going to fact check the shit that I put out on a medical podcast or a medical position or a meme about some medical stuff. Granted, memes are supposed to be somewhat comedy. And I know comedy is no longer a thing. We can't have to cancel every comedian in the fucking world now. But the point is, is that if I put something out there and it gets fact checked by these douchebags, like that makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah. A journalist, a journalist that used to work at the New York Times or a journalist that used to work for uh, the Chicago Tribune is now working at factcheck.org and they know, like, if you know the facts, why don't you post them, dude? 
Yeah. Like, if you're saying this isn't factual... All they do is they reference some establishment websites, such as CDC or NIH or American Heart Association. Or, Which you and I both heart, know are heart. also wrong. Yes, frequently. Frequently yeah. wrong. So all they do is they go out to establishment sources, which they never fact check, by the way. No, no, they don't yeah. fact check the establishment. Never, never. Let's not fact check them. Let's just fact check the people who are against them or who are driving a different narrative. Yeah, and the other thing is they don't fact check. Uh, a lot of these fact check organizations are owned by media companies. And they, Hence the, all the journalism. And they don't fact check their competitors because they don't want their competitors fact checking them. So, right. so the two things that are off limits for fact checkers are things said by competitive media sources and uh, things put out by the establishment. Right. Which means that all they're really trying to do is um, support and maintain and claim that the establishment narrative is the only credible narrative, which is pretty much sort of Orwellian, communistic, you know, what the government says is right and everybody else is wrong. Right. Okay. 